Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit NBCOcala.com stories to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to help support the ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Man, help me welcome our online church family. So glad that you could be with us. It's going to be a good one. Can you throw me my water? I wasn't planning for that extra worship portion. Well, it is good to be with y'all. And if you are joining us for the first time or you're one of our first time guests or I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And I just got to say, it's a privilege to serve in any capacity. To, to, to be able to do anything here is a huge privilege. And we have an incredible dream team and staff and people who serve and make all of this happen. And so I, I got to say, it is a privilege to serve and, and to be able to serve in a capacity where I could ever even step foot in a platform and, and, and share the word of God. I don't take that lightly. And what I want you to know is that if I am teaching it, if I'm preaching it, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> the, the, the things that I'm sharing are things that... God is showing me in my own life. I believe it's, it's an overflow. It's a revelation. And so my thought is, if, if God finds it important enough to corner me and to kind of correct me or challenge me and encourage me, then it's not just for my benefit. You know, I want to take something that he's teaching me, and I want to share with you. I want it to be for your benefit. So never hear anyone who's up here as it, someone just preaching at you. But realize we're preaching to ourselves. We are all the work in progress. We are all uh, just on this path to know Jesus better. And so I'm no better than you, but I was asked to teach tonight. So hopefully you'll listen to me. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Well, are any of the parents glad that summer is over? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we can be dismissed. Now, I'm glad that summer's over. I'm, you know, summer has its place. Vacation's good. It's good to, to switch up the routine. But uh, whether it's technically over on the calendar or not, I don't know when the last day of summer is. But when kids go back to school, summer's over. And, and I like routine. I like the momentum that kind of surges as we head into the fall, as people get back in systems and in routines. And if you have kids, then you know this to be true. When they're out of a rhythm or they're out of structure or they're out of their regular routine— they start to get a little restless. They start to get a little bit of cabin fever, and they start to go crazy. And when they go crazy, guess who else goes crazy? The, the parents, at, at least me and my wife. We'll, we'll be honest. Sometimes our kids drive us crazy. So they're back in school. They're doing great. We're excited to, to just kind of launch into fall. And, I, and I, I say all that to say this. You can always tell what time of year it is in the church by looking at the attendance. <laughs> Because in the summer, it kind of dips off a little bit. People are at the lake, they're at the beach, you, you go on vacation, you, you get a break when you can. And, but thankfully, and we ne- it never hits us that hard, but we do see a little dip. And then we always know when school is back in session because attendance starts to climb again. And so this past week, we had 4,800 people here on site. 4,800 people. And so school's back in session. And uh, People get back in routine, and, and people say, well, why do, you, why do you count? Like, what's the emphasis on numbers? And, and my answer would be this. We count people because people count. We, we count numbers because a number is just not a, a question mark. It's not just a void. A number represents a person. 
That person has a name. That person has a story. God is doing something in those lives. And so hear our hearts, whether we're called to reach 48 people or 4,800 or 10,000. You know, we're not in it to be the biggest or the best. We're just here to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. And so I'm all about that kind of momentum. And, and as Pastor Sean mentioned, this Sunday we celebrate 27 years. So be here for that. Pastor Tim is going to kind of share some vision. And we're not just celebrating where we've been, but we're celebrating where we're going. And th- thank God for, for forward progress. Amen. Because 27 years ago, I was a three and a half year old that was getting in a lot of trouble. And, and now, now I'm up here. So there's hope for all of us. So we'll see you Sunday as we celebrate that. But speaking of vacation and speaking of being able to get a break and, and get away, my family and I, we're, we're Disney pass holders. Maybe some of y'all have SeaWorld passes, Bush Gardens, Universal, whatever it would be. The beauty of being a pass holder in Central Florida is you can go to a park for a few hours and you don't have the pressure of trying to do it all in one day. You can go and you can kind of do a few things and you can go home and say, you know what, we'll go back another day. But when you spend like 300 bucks on a day pass or whatever they've jacked it up to now, you have this unreal pressure to try and do everything in 12 hours. And so anyways, we have passes. Sunday after church, we just spontaneously decided let's go to Disney hopped in the car, went over there. As we were getting there, a storm opened up, as Florida does, out of nowhere, just the torrential downpour. So Katie, she's looking like she's ready to bail. And I'm like, no, we're going to the park. Because when it rains, it starts to empty out. And so it started raining. I said, fine, we'll get ponchos. I spent $40 on ponchos. Cora rips hers. Gavin takes his off. I'm just like, this is not, this is not going the way I planned. But we get in the park, and it had started to empty out. And didn't really have to wait in too many lines. But we get to one particular ride, and there was, was a decent line. And, and so as, as we're standing in it, if you've ever been in a line, you know how it goes. You stand still for a while, and then people load the ride, and so you move a few feet, and you stand again. It's, it's a waiting game. It's stop and go. And so we get in line, and the, the line moves about 20 feet. Well, we don't move because the lady in front of me is just standing there like this. And I'm just like, okay, she's not paying attention. Then I realized she had her phone. Okay, we've all been that person. I'm like, all right. So she finally moves. Ride loads again. Line moves. Here's this lady again like this. And I was about to get my nerve to tap her and say, ma'am, the line. And she finally got it, and then she moved. And this went on the entire wait. It was getting to the point it was so predictable that, that Gavin, the line would move, and he would just go, uh. Because <laughs> he knew the lady was not paying attention. And so I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at this lady. My goal is not to try and make an example of her. But the point is, uh, we've all been that lady. Uh, there, there's been times where I've been so caught up in something on my phone that I missed a meaningful conversation with my kids. I've been at home on the laptop, and I'm doing something, and Cora will come up, and she'll just close the laptop. And it's like this realization, like, okay, I need to give my attention to my family. I, I've been in the hall where... I'm walking past physical people, people here at the church, you guys, and I may totally miss out saying hey to someone because I'm, I'm listening to a voicemail. Or we, We've gotten in this place where we are so accessible. Y- y- y'all know what I mean? We are the most accessible generation that we've ever seen. And because of technology advancements, social media, smartphones, all those things, it's vying for our attention. And it really, it's not a healthy way to live. I kind of have a, a love-hate relationship with social media. Does anyone feel me on that? Like, like, I like being on it and being in the loop and being in contact with people. It's easy to stay in contact with family and friends all over. But then, like, you kind of get worn out. Like, not only are people have direct access to you, but you have access 24-7 to this constant negative news feed and everyone's opinions. And so I go through seasons where I'll just, like, boycott off social media. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm never, I'm never going back. And then five days pass, and I, and I feel out of the loop, so I reactivate all my accounts. And so here's the deal. I've totally sworn off Facebook. And so if you're like, hey, we used to be Facebook friends. Don't worry. I didn't delete you. I just deactivated my Facebook. It's not you. It's me. But I just felt like it was this, this way that I was— there's so many people th- th- that I was accessible to that, that I, I was getting messages that were heavy in nature from people that I didn't really know. And I, th- I thought, you know, if, I'm, if I see this, I'm responsible for it. But if I put a, a boundary in place, it's kind of a way to guard myself and not be so accessible. And so I would encourage all of us, maybe reevaluate that in your own life. But beyond just being the most accessible age that we've ever been in, we are at the busiest age we've ever been. Society and the average modern family, we live at a very hectic pace. Can you agree? If you're, if you're raising kids, if you have any type of responsibility, can we just be honest that at times the pace of life is pretty hectic and pretty unsustainable? We, we are very busy. We're always going. We're always doing. We, we, we fill up our schedules with all kinds of um, Thing, you know, responsibilities and things that we have going on with school and sports and, and work and all these other things. And then what happens is the weekend arrives. Monday through Friday was busy. The weekend arrives, and guess what? Now it's a chance to decompress. Now it's a chance to actually get some breathing room. But what we do is we have such this sense of urgency and pressure that then we fill our social schedule. Well, this night we've got to go out with that couple, and, and, and we've we got to go meet this family, or we're going to go here on this day. And the next thing you know, seven days have gone by, and we haven't rested. We, we haven't taken a moment for a breather, and this has just become the pace of life that so many of us live at. Busyness is a sickness. Productivity is not a sickness. Getting things done, that's not necessarily a sickness, but I believe our culture suffers from a sickness of busyness. And we wear busyness like, like it's this badge of honor, but there, there's not much honorable about it. How, how many times throughout your day do you, you encounter someone and you say, how are you doing? And th- what is their answer? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I say it all the time. People say, how's things? How's the family? Oh, we are so busy. And and part of it, I don't know if it's just like a default answer because I don't know what else to say. Part of it is it's true. And then the other part is, let's, let's be real, we get some type of worth or validation or identity out of knowing how much we have going on all the irons we have in the fire. And so because of this, we, we have just embraced this busy, hectic pace of life that so many of us are living at. Culture shows us that busyness is the norm. Like, like that is the standard. And so because of this, we've become slaves to achieving. There's nothing wrong with achieving, but when we make that our focus, we become a, a slave to it. We become slaves to uh, accomplishing. Do I have any checkbox people in the house where you like to-do lists? You like to execute. You like to check off your list. I, that is me to a T. And at the end of a, a day, if I didn't check off some boxes, I'm like, what was I doing? I failed today. Like, I, I like to execute, and I like to look, and I like to accomplish, and, and see in my day what were the things I completed. But we've become slaves to accomplishing and to executing. We've become slaves to our schedules. Rather than our schedule or our calendar, rather than us dictate what fills that, our, our calendars are dictating to us the way we lead our lives. And it's not a healthy way to live. So here's the danger. I'm going to share this, this principle you may have never heard. More margin— equals less pressure. But less margin equals more pressure. Okay, I didn't come up with that. Pastor Tim has taught us that for years. But think about it. When we have more margin, we live with less pressure. But when we have little to no margin, we're going to be flooded 
with pressure. And so uh, thinking of it in a financial sense, if you live your life with no financial margin, no security account, no, no savings, no, you're living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, it's sustainable for a while, but then what happens when you get a flat tire? Or you get an unexpected trip to the emergency room, or you get hit with this fee that you didn't know you were going to have with school or whatever else it was. All of a sudden, there is a world of what? Pressure. Because you had no margin. However, if you live your, your, you, you've structured your finances with a sense of margin, you have savings, you have a cushion, then when those unexpected things happen, it doesn't throw you into a tailspin of pressure because you were somewhat prepared for them. So that's just a financial sense, but think about that in terms of our time. We have become what I call slaves to the urgent. Slaves to the urgent. Say that. Tonight's message is called Slaves to the Urgent, and this is not original to me. I think it's a a saying that comes from even the 60s. Slaves to the tyranny of the urgent, where we live our lives reacting to the thing that screams our name the loudest. We have no real sense of priority or importance. We're kind of just reacting to everything that would pop up and come our way. It's like playing whack-a-mole or stopping cockroaches or putting out a fire. We're just trying to keep up. We're just trying to stay afloat. And, 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 And when you live life at this urgent pace, it is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. If everything is important, nothing will be important. Think about that for a second. If you let everything in your life be the most important thing in that moment, then nothing will be important. How do you differentiate what is truly important and where you devote your time and and the things that matter most? And so living with this sense of urgency, living at this pace that a lot of us have allowed to creep into our life, it's taking a toll on us because it's not only a pace that's unsustainable, but it's a pace that's unhealthy, and it's counter to the way God designed, created us, and wired us to live and thrive in this world. I'm going I'm to read a list of things, and, and just in your mind, I want you to think how many things you may face on a weekly basis. Fatigue, exhaustion, stress, worn-out bodies, weary souls, tired minds, busy lives, Strained relationships. I I could go on and on, but I think at least one of these things for every one of us, we could say, yeah, I I, I dealt with that. I faced that. And I would go so far as to say that a lot of these things are not not that that, uh, urgency is the root, but urgency magnifies these things. These things can stem and grow from living life at a hectic, urgent pace that is dictating to us how we live rather than us setting priorities and dictating to our life the way we lead it on a day-to-day basis. So tonight, I want to make you aware of three things that I want to share biblically that I believe will help us take steps to begin to nip in the bud this urgent pace that we're living at. Do you, could, could y'all benefit from that? Okay. You may be hearing you say, I'm retired. My, my kids are gone. I'm not on the social media you speak of. All the, I'm laid back. If that's you, awesome. Go grab a coffee. We're going to talk for 20 more minutes. But there are those of us who are living at a hectic, urgent pace, and I think this is something that can help us all. So we're going to get right in. The first thing is this. Rest. Rest. Say that. Rest. Novel idea, right? You're like, okay, we're talking about this hectic, urgent pace, and he tells us to rest. Well, no, duh. Like, if I'm tired and I, and I push myself to a point of burden, uh, burnout, of course I need to rest. But I think a lot of us, not only are we not resting, but we don't have a complete um, understanding of what rest really means the way God designed it for us. Rest, just as uh, our culture shows us that busyness is a norm, our culture shows us that rest is optional. Or it's become kind of countercultural, and and you say, well, how how do you figure? 
Well, b- because of Red Bull, <laughs> because of five-hour energy, Monster, Starbucks, all these things. We burn the midnight oil, and it doesn't matter if we miss out on some rest because in the morning we can, we can refuel, we can run on fumes, and we can push through and get done what we need to do. Uh, it's lighthearted, but it's true. And, and I'm definitely contributing to the caffeine consumption. I, I love coffee. And I, I read last year in 2015 that Americans consumed 400 million cups of coffee per day. 400 million. That, I think that's greater than our population. So that's like every person, babies all the way to the oldest people you can find, everyone having a cup. But that's not what it is. It's, it's a lot of us drinking cup after cup. And, and, and that's just crazy. We are the most caffeinated country in the world. Um, but here's the deal. Rest is not just for when you're tired. Rest is a biblical command for life. You may say, yeah, I know I need to rest better. I, I know I haven't been resting. But it's, it's beyond just something because you're tired or, or you're, you're burnt out. Rest is a biblical command for life. In the beginning, God showed us the importance of rest. And I want to show you why it's a little more than just a power nap, okay? So go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, we'll read verses 1 through 3. It's going to be on the screens, or if you're following along on version. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he what? He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God what? Rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so maybe you've read this verse before, and you've looked at it, and you thought, well, why did God rest? Like, did he really need to rest? Like, God doesn't get tired. God's energy is not depleted. I mean, he, he created everything we see essentially with his breath, with his mere thought. He breathed it into existence. Like, it didn't, it's not like he was like, I'm so weak, I'm so tired, I have to go recharge. But yet, Scripture explicitly shows that he rested. So, as you, as you think about that, I, I was reading this, and, and Matthew Henry says it this way, if you've ever read Matthew Henry commentary. He said, God rested not as one who was weary, but as one who was well-pleased. God rested as one who, not, was, not one who was weary, but as one who is well-pleased. So we're pros at resting when we're weary. We, we all know what it's like to push ourselves to our capacity, to our brink, where we have no option but to rest, or else we're going to end up in a hospital. We know how to rest as one who is weary. But when is the last time that we rested as one who is well-pleased? But yet it says, he says that God rested as one who was well-pleased. God sat back. He looked at what he had done. He said, it is good. He said, I can rest in this. And he admired what he had done. And so in our life, I think it's possible, just maybe, that at the end of the day, you could say, you know what? I've done all I'm going to do here today. I'm going to leave work at work. I'm going to leave the office at the office. And now I'm going to disconnect. I'm going to decompress. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to be present for my family. I'm going to rest not because I'm weary, but because I'm well-pleased. Not even in what I've done, but in what he's done. I can rest as one who's well-pleased in my God, whose I am. Not in what I've done, but in whose, uh, whose I am and who I belong to. That is what it means to rest as one who is well-pleased. And so this scripture, this would kind of be the first instance that we see the Sabbath, where, where God instituted into the rhythm of creation a day of rest. The Creator modeled for us the created the importance of rest. Rest should be a pillar uh, in our life. It's, it's something that sustains us. It is a benefit to us. And, and the Sabbath was not created to squash our fun. 
Some people will talk about it like it's a buzzkill, like, well, there's one day a week where I can't do anything or else God's going to be upset at me. That, that, that's pre-Jesus. That, that's Pharisee talk. And, and, and speaking of Pharisees, I want you to go with me to, to Mark chapter 2, pick up in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. He says, Me, I'm the Lord, even over the Sabbath. So here, here's the Pharisees, once again, trying to catch someone doing something wrong. Counter to the law. And Jesus is like, y'all are missing it. I, I'm the Lord over the Sabbath. Don't you know that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around? Man was not made for the Sabbath. Man is not confined by the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to man. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to me. The Sabbath is for our benefit. And so when we don't observe the Sabbath, it's not to his detriment. Sure, sure, he may be bummed that we're not taking full advantage of a gift that he has created and made available to us. But it's to our detriment when we don't observe the Sabbath. It is a gift to us to recharge, to reflect, to rest as ones who are well pleased. I read this recently, and, and it, I just thought it was beautiful. It says, we rest because we were created for the garden. We rest because we were created for the garden. Who, who messed that up? Man. We, we messed that up. We gave into temptation, but God had created us for the garden, for paradise, for rest. And so when we rest, really it is a picture of what we are actually designed and created to do. This author goes on and he says, we rest to remind ourselves that the world goes on without us. We are not as important as we think. We live in a story and we are not the main character. And so as I got thinking about this, I rest because I'm created for the garden. The world goes on without me. If, if tomorrow I drop dead, guess what? Stuff's going to go on. Things are going to continue to move forward. Progress is going to happen. I am not as important as I think. I am a, a small player in a big picture. That goes for all of us. We were created for the garden. The world goes on without us. We play a small part in a, in a big role. And so all these things, it's not to diminish who we are, but it's to show us, the Sabbath shows us that God loves you for who you are, not for what you accomplish. Think about that. You, you guys are quiet. The Sabbath shows us God loves you for who you are, not for the hectic pace you keep, not for the boxes that you checked off, not for the worth you're deriving from what you've accomplished. Your worth is in Him because you are His. That's what Sabbath rest shows us. So we have to recapture the biblical concept of rest. Not just a power nap. Yes, I think you need to get your eight hours a night. I think you need to get a nap where you can. But beyond just physical rest, I think there is a, an emotional and a, and a spiritual rest that, that we are missing out on. And God wants us to understand that all of that is a gift to us for our benefit, for the rhythm that he set into motion and modeled for creation. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the second thing. It's to be still. Say, be still. Be still. That's probably another thing that a lot of us struggle with. 
Um, maybe you're ADHD, maybe you, maybe you drank a lot of co- coffee today, maybe whatever it is, and you say, I, ca- I can't be still. Again, this goes beyond uh, just a physical concept of being still. Because even when we still our bodies, I'd be willing to say that our minds and our hearts are still going pretty rapidly. Uh, you know, to the concept of be still, so many times I've read, be still and know that I'm God. And so I, in my quiet time, I'll be still. I'll, I'll still my body. There's no sound going on around me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm being still. But yet, what's still going a million miles an hour? My mind. As much as I try to disconnect and focus, I'm still like, there's all these subconscious things. Do, 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 squirrel. You know, like, (laughs) we've all been there. And so, at night, this may be you. Um, Honestly, I'll I'll be real. When my head hits the pillow, I'm usually out in in a matter of minutes. But I know not everyone has that luxury. Some people struggle to sleep. So your head hits the pillow, your body is physically still. Everyone else in the house is still. There's no noise, but yet you're still very much moving. You, you might be doing the most heavy lifting you've been doing all day, and it's all mental. It, it's, it's the four inches between your ears, and, and we have trouble shutting that off. But in Psalms 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, obviously, this is a psalm that proclaims the power and the security of God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations and among the earth. Be still. Know that I am God. See, David, the psalmist, he was facing a threat. So this is like kind of like probably in, in, in the face of the, that threat or in the face of fear, he's proclaiming, you know, I, I will be still. I will know that God is, is Lord over all of this. It is a, it's a proclamation. But when you study out in the Hebrew what be still actually means, it, it, it implies this, to release to let go or to cease. Release, let go, or cease. So let's sub those words. Release and know that I am God. Let go and know that I am God. Cease what you're doing and know that I am God. When you, when you read it that way, it has a new meaning. It, 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 it goes a little deeper and, and maybe the way that you've been thinking about it. See, David was at war with himself. David was a very tormented soul. When you study his life, when you look at the Psalms, there, the, he, his emotions were all, all over the place. He was anxious. He was depressed. He was fearful. But yet he also had great joy and he had great courage. And, and so it's kind of like this tension, and it probably mirrors a lot of our lives, a lot of the same things we face. And, 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 and not only was he at war within himself, but in the day and age he lived and in the area he lived, he was surrounded by pagan nations that were at war with each other. So looking at your own life, y- y- there may be war either within you or around you in your relationships. We're all facing some type of tension or threat or war, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. There's a battle, and, and the enemy wants to hit us wherever he can on any one of those levels. And so as I studied this deeper in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean to release, let go, or cease, but it actually paints this picture. Listen to this. This shows how much, what a richer language the Hebrew is than just our simple English translation of be still. It's the idea of two people fighting with weapons until someone steps in and physically separates them to make them drop their weapons. It is only once those two have separated, dropped their weapons, and stopped fighting that there's actual room for peace to come in, for stillness to take place. That's a, that's a pretty rich image if you think about it. So now kind of put yourself within that. You're, you're trying to be still. You're trying to hear God. But yet God is like, I'm forcing my way in. 
I want you to separate from whatever it is you're fighting against, whatever it is you're holding on. His peace cannot come in. We cannot effectively hear him until we are at a place of surrender, at a place of abandonment, at a place where we say, you know what, I truly am going to be still. Everything I'm holding on to, everything I'm trying to figure out, I release it right now to you because I need your peace more than any of these things I'm trying to figure out. And we can't hear God if we can't be still. We cannot hear God if we can't learn to be still. I've heard it said this way, that hurry is the death of prayer. Many of us, we, our, our prayer life is not fruitful because we don't stop long enough to sit and hear God. We're always in a hurry. We're, we're slaves to the urgent. We're living this hectic, fast-paced life, and, and, and we're stopping here and there for God, and he's sitting at the table saying, hey, I just want to spend a few minutes with you. Think about it in in, in real terms. If my wife wanted to have a meaningful conversation with me, but every time she started to talk, I was running out the door or I was headed out the back door to go work on a project or if I was doing this and that, everything but taking the time to sit, to be still with her and listen to her, that would get old really fast. She would only try to talk to me for so long. And so look at your own life. Are you living at this hectic pace where, where hurry has become the death of your prayer life? and you're struggling to hear God, I want to encourage you to stop and say, maybe, just maybe am I struggling to hear God because I won't stop and sit still long enough to actually hear Him, to allow His peace to enter? Are you, are you figuratively r- running out that door? Because I think after a while, God's going to say, you know what, I- I'm here when they're ready. But He's not going to keep pursuing if we're always in a hurry, running away, trying to do everything on our own. And so here's what I want to do. I know it's already 8 o'clock. We probably got a few more minutes. Are you all okay? It's, it's the midweek, so we, we, we have no time constraints. I could go a little while longer, but we'll, we'll wrap it up pretty quick. I want to do this, though, because I think it's important. Right now, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to still yourself. Obviously, you're physically still. Obviously, you're not talking. You've been focused the last hour. But right now, I want you to put into practice kind of what we just talked about. Look at your life and say, what am I holding on to? What have I not released? What have I not let go of? What am I trying to fix on my own? What weapons in my hand? What battle am I trying to fight that I'm not meant to fight? And that could be the very thing that's holding you back from being still and truly experiencing peace and hearing God. And so right now, I just want to encourage you. We're going to take 10 seconds, just 10 seconds, and I want you to let go of that. I want to be still. I lied. That was 12 seconds. There's something kind of liberating about that, isn't there? Just Just even right there, when's the last time at home that you stopped and you spent 10 seconds just in complete silence, deliberately saying, I let go of whatever I'm holding on to. I promise you that if you make that exercise a staple part of your life, that every day, just as last week Pastor Tim talked to us about beginning with a bow, getting on our face before God and acknowledging who He is and who we're not, in that same time, take, uh, t- take a moment to be still. Not 10 seconds. Take a couple minutes to actually say, I let go. I let go. I release. I surrender. I cease. And watch how he begins to speak to you. Watch how his peace begins to come back into your life as you truly learn what it means to be still. Amen? Amen. The third and final thing that I want to talk to you about is the concept of what it means to be aware. Say, be aware. Be aware. Be aware. 
how many times a day or times a week do you hear someone say something like this? If I just had more time in the day. If I just had more time in the day. If I just had another hour. If I just had 10 minutes there, I would have been able to accomplish this or fix that or invest more into this relationship. And I've said it. There's, there's been days that have gone by where maybe I didn't check off all my boxes and I thought, man, if I just had another hour, I could have squeezed that in or I could have, you know, solved this issue. But that's not a way to live. Having more of something doesn't solve the problem of poor stewardship. It's quiet. I can hear a pen drop. Just because you have more of something doesn't solve the problem of poor stewardship. Again, I'm going to equate this one to finances. A lot of people live their lives with this mentality that if I had more money, then I would be more generous. If I made more money, then I would be more compassionate or giving. If, if, If I got a raise, then maybe I'd begin to tithe. But having more doesn't solve the problem of poor stewardship. We, it starts with what's already in our hands. It starts with what's already around us. How are we going to be generous with more if we're not generous with what we've already been given? If you are faithful with little, you will be faithful over much, over more. And so the answer is not more time. It's a greater awareness of the time that we already have. The answer to to the pace of life, to solving this issue of urgency, it's not more time. It's a greater awareness of the time that you already have. Really, it's an issue of stewardship. And guess what? You and me and every one of us, we've all been uh, placed in a world where our day consists of 24 hours. How are we using those 24 hours? How are we prioritizing? How are we resting? How are we being still? How have we stacked our days? Or is it all bleeding together and we're just living as slaves to the urgent. You see, the switch is this. It's making time for the important, not the urgent. But as I said at the beginning, if everything's important, then nothing will be important. So there comes a point where we have to stop and be aware so that we can prioritize, so that we can establish what is truly important, not just what seems important in in that emergency or in that moment. And so I want to go to this this passage, James chapter 4, Verse 13, it says this. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and then trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's a verse many of us have heard probably a lot of times, but do you ever just stop and think about that? That life is, it's a mist. We're, we're, we're not promised tomorrow. Time is fragile. Relationships are fragile. And when you look at it that way, is it really worth going through week after week living as a slave to, an ur- to the urgent? In Psalm 39, verses 4 through 5, it says this, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Life is a vapor. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but what I do know every day when we wake up and our feet hit the floor is that we're promised what's right in front of us. We need to be aware of the resources that we already have. We need to be aware of the relationships that we've already been blessed with. We need to be aware of the time that's right around us. And as we are more aware, we can begin to prioritize and, uh, and, and make some healthy adjustments so that we aren't continuing to live as slaves to the urgent. I want to read this final story. For me, having two kids, it really kind of hit home, and maybe you, this can paint a visual or help you relate. 
It says this, There was a dad who realized he was so busy that he was missing most of his kids' lives. He never planned to take them for granted or, or deliberately chose to miss out on quality time with his kids, but he realized that his time with them would continue to melt faster than a popsicle in July unless he found a way to slow down and savor the present. So when his oldest daughter was a sophomore in high school, he did something that changed his family's life. The wise father purchased a bunch of marbles. Back at home, he carefully counted out 143 marbles and put them into a large jar. According to his calculations, he had just 143 Saturdays left before his oldest daughter would graduate high school and leave home. So the father put 143 marbles in a jar, and each Saturday he began to pull one out. This visual reminded him of the importance of investing his time in the places that mattered the most. It was inevitable that he would lose his marbles, but at least this way, he got to decide where they went. (laughs) What was the father doing? He was being aware. Rather than allowing everything else to dictate the way he was leading his life, he said, you know what? I'm not promised all these things, but I know what's most important, and I'm going to be aware, and and I'm going to be strategic about that. And so this is what I want you to realize is that awareness helps us establish our priorities, and in turn, it is our priorities that protect us. Your priorities are the things that are most important to you. Have you taken time to sit and to map out those priorities, the relationships, the people, the responsibilities, the commitments that are truly most important? As you do that, your priorities inform and make your decisions for you. You won't be a slave to the urgent or slave to achieving or slave to your calendar because your priorities will begin to protect you. Tonight, I hope that all of us can leave here ready to make steps to to nip this hectic pace in the bud, to begin to reverse some bad habits as we learn the biblical concept of rest, that that our our Savior, our our, our Father, He put that into motion uh, for us, for our benefit, and we would take advantage of that. Secondly, that we would learn what it means to be still, to let go, to surrender, to stop fighting and allow His peace to enter our life. And thirdly, that we would live life with a sense of awareness that we would be aware, that we would establish priorities, and we would let these things work together so that we can recapture the life that so many of us are letting run away from us. Recapture the peace. Claim the things that God has made available to you. Amen? Did you get anything out of this tonight? Thank you for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.